You know why I'm so passionate about Music to Code By? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you, who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than four bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only three bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1335, with guest Matt Watson. Recorded Friday, July 22nd, 2016. Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here for another hour of nutty goodness. And uh, Matt Watson from Stackify is here. We're going to be talking about migrating to .NET Core, everybody's favorite subject. Yep. And uh, let's see, it's August 16th today when, when this is coming out. Well, yep. not today. You're listening to it today. But yes. today for us is July 22nd. Right. And so, then my electrician's downstairs finishing my lights. And you don't think you're going to be in the basement by August 16th, do you? Um, well, August 16th, when this show comes out, will be just as I'm getting back from the polar, from the, the Arctic Ocean expedition. So, yeah. I mean, it'd be nice if everything got finished while we were gone. But you're not hopeful. That, you know what? I'm experienced. You, what did you say yeah. that pessimism is great because you're rarely uh, disappointed yeah, and sometimes pleasantly surprised? Exactly. So. <laughs> It's not bad. It's not bad no. advice to lower your expectations, actually. Well, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, and, and the more important part is the, the wife, too, right? Yeah. Both being experienced project managers. I think a week ago we were doing the math, but, 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 but this isn't happening until after we get back. No, well. Stop thinking about it. Right? All right. The bigger, bigger part is don't let it make you crazy. Just acknowledge what reality is. Move on. Right. So let's move on to Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man. What do you got? Shut it, Richard. I beg your pardon? Uh, shut it. That's what I got. It's a versatile automation framework called Shut It. <laughs> ah, and polite, too. Yeah, it's not as polite as you, being a Canadian, but <laughs> shut it. It's an automation tool that models a user's action on a terminal, so it can automate any process that can be run by a human on the command line with little effort. It was originally written to manage complex Docker builds, but it's now a general-purpose automation tool that supports Bash, Docker, Vagrant, SSH, and arbitrary build contexts. Interesting. Yeah. It's also an educational tool, so it can produce videos of demos, capture reproducible steps required to set up environments and stuff, and even challenge you to get the right output. How cool is that? Yeah, it's really, you know, the easy, it's easy to send out the commands. It's another thing to know what to do when you get them back and they go wrong. So, yeah, yeah just to sort of wrap up all that functionality so you can validate 
scripts or you know builds all kinds of things i love stuff i love all the stuff that's going on with the command line yep it's just great very cool and this is just another tool on github that you can download and use absolutely yep can't argue with the price there you go so it's at 1335.pwop.me or just search for shut it nice (laughs) who's talking to us richard Grabbed a comment off of show 1309, the one we did with Greg Shackles, we were talking about instrumenting mobile apps. Right. Call that was a fun conversation. We sort of went all over the place about how do you measure failure? How do you respond to it? And it got right down to when I was talking about working with an organization where when a user had a problem on an app in the organization, tech support heard about it immediately and would often phone them before they could phone for help. Right. And Brendan Parker thought that was a little creepy because he said... Richard brought up a good point at the end of the show that struck a nerve. I've been involved in adding some data gathering into our existing products. The higher-ups where I work rightly see the value in collecting information on how users are using our products. My frustration comes when I'm tasked with just, quote, collect data. Yeah, that's Um, always bad. Yeah. Just collect data. What do you mean? Yeah. And, And this is where exactly where it goes. How do I know what data I should be collecting? Or more importantly, to Richard's point, what specific questions do they want answered? Yeah. That's what will drive the data we collect. I guess the frustration comes from the expectation that we have data. And, mm. and then all questions are magically answered. Right. And that they can't come up with those questions without seeing some sort of data. To facilitate, I try and turn the table and say... Assume we have the data. What questions would you like answered? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. But I mean, they, the powers that be have a point. They kind of have to have something to see before they can really talk about what makes sense. So I, I do think it's worth you make up making a pass over basic tooling, whatever that may be, and say, here's data we can easily retrieve. Mm. And then start looking at that and saying, now... You know, w- w- what questions does this stimulate? Where would you want to know more? Because yeah. the, the obvious one of when someone logged in, when someone logged out, where they had an error, what features they used, how long they spent on them. I mean, a lot of those things are easily derived from standard logs, although it sure. still takes work to actually derive them. Absolutely. Pretty quickly, people start stepping up the levels on a conversation like that into stuff you just aren't collecting or that's way very complex to collect or derive. Mm-hmm. Either way, you know, challenging the creepiness factor of how much you know what's going on in, in your organization and what you should know. We, we didn't even talk about personally identifiable information and maintaining people's privacy. But, you know, that's that's right there when you start talking about what you actually want to know mm-hmm. and uh, when you're going to cross that line. So, Brendan, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We throw him in the data lake. <laughs> Watch him swim around. <laughs> Sometimes we'll fish him out. Descale him and make a nice Denver soul. <laughs> oh, so fun. This is the last show of the day, folks. Friday afternoon. Right. And we're not even drinking. That's the funny part. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I have tea. Well, a nice Yorkshire gold. That is so, so Canadian. <laughs> uh, let's bring on Matt Watson again. He's the founder and CEO of Stackify, of course. He's been a Microsoft developer for over 15 years and is passionate about making developers' lives easier. Welcome back to the show, Matt. 
Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You uh, sent us a proposal for uh, a, a show that we, we've been itching to talk about this topic, .NET Core migration. And of course, it's been a moving target for so long. This seems like a good time, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Now that uh, version one is here and, um, you know, we, we started playing with it back in the early betas and it, it was a little bit of a moving target for sure. Yeah, those were not betas. Yeah. Well, they, the real the release candidates were not release candidates for sure. No. No, I'm pretty sure the betas were alphas, the RCs were betas. <laughs> and now that we're yeah. RTM, maybe we have a release candidate. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, the uh let's see the CLI tools, I believe is still a preview 2 and the Visual Studio tools is a, a preview yeah. build as well. So it's the, you know, the actual CLR itself, I think, is V1, and everything else is still somewhere between beta and RC, and we're the guinea pig. This is something Sean Weldermuth said. He said, just because the core ship doesn't Mm -hmm. mean everything's done. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, um, obviously, you guys have been uh, following the, the core all the way through from its beginning. What, uh, what do you want to, how do you want to lead off this conversation? Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe first just, I would say I'm not an expert at everything core, but we've done a lot of work with it. And, um, like anything, you're, you're only, you know, kind of a, you only kind of have experience with the things that you've had to work with, right? So there's a lot of things about core that perhaps I haven't worked with. Um, there's quite a few, quite a few things that I have, um, you know, since our company deals a lot with application performance and, and profiling, you know, from the very beginning of when core was announced, we're sitting here saying, okay, well, we got to figure out how we, how do we support core? How do we profile core apps? Mm. How do we understand the performance of them? What changed? You know, all, all those sorts of, sorts of things. So that's, that's kind of where the angle that we came at it, um, from the very beginning. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. And, uh, just so, to, just to bring us back to reality, you guys do a lot of stuff on the server side, Stackify, obviously, instrumentation and that kind of stuff. So you're all about, you know, getting into the lower level aspects of the framework, aren't you? Yeah. So we have a, a profiler that we built for .NET uh, and Java. And it, you know, we have a couple products. You know, one is Prefix, which is our, our, our free tool that, that we provide that's, that's used now by thousands of developers in 115 countries. Um, it's an amazing free tool. And, you know, we, we had to get it up to speed to, to use core. And the current version of it does support core, works, works just fine out of the box. Um, and then we have our server based tools as well that profile, you know, production applications and track the performance of those. And so, I mean, how do you like the perf that they've uh, managed to achieve, you know, in the later versions? Yeah, it definitely feels a little snappier when you're writing code and, and testing code. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. So, where does one start? You know, now that things have sort of sort of settled down anyway. Uh, first of all, I guess, is this a good time to do a migration or would you advise waiting still? So I think there's a couple of things there. I think it depends on what your goal is. So if your goal is you have an app and you want to run it on Mac or Linux, then mm. I would say absolutely. Mm. Um, the first thing you got to figure out, though, is what sort of dependencies 
um, does your app have? Because yeah. the biggest shortfall you have right now is not all the third-party packages and dependencies uh, support core. And it, one of the best examples right. I have for you is Log4Net. I mean, so many applications use Log4Net, right, for a logging framework. It doesn't work for core. Right. Now, you can use InLog or Serilog, and there, there's other solutions. Um, but that's just one example. Um, when we actually ported all of the code for prefix to core. And one of the dependencies dependencies that we have is a SQL parsing library and it does not work for core. Mm-hmm. So we're just out of luck. And I guess WebSockets is it, that either wasn't there or still isn't there, right? Um, I think it is there. So SignalR, um, they said didn't, didn't uh, work with V1. Yeah. Um, there's an alpha version of SignalR and it works um, okay. from good. from our usage. It's still in an early alpha version, but the alpha bits actually seem to work, and and you know that uses WebSocket, so yeah, it I think, seems. To work. I think you're right that it wasn't there in the earlier versions, and then it came later. Yeah, so I mean that's one of the great things about Core is it's not one monolithic thing anymore yep. where, you know, before we went from .NET 3.5, .NET 4, you know, 4.5, 4.6, whatever. Now they can potentially update any of the packages at any time. So if they want to update system.io, mm. I, I think they can whenever they want. We don't have to wait for this giant release. Yeah. And that seemed to have been coming for a while, right? Remember when they made a client edition of, of the .NET framework and it was a server edition? Yeah. But the, there was just sort of this recognition of A, nobody needs the whole framework virtually ever. And B, you want to be able to limit updates. Yeah. Now we are talking about jumping from traditional ASP.NET, quote unquote traditional, over to ASP.NET core, mm. right? Like, Right. So what's what's the current? Is it still four five? Is it four five two right now, or is it we made it four six? I think there's four six two, maybe four six three. Yeah. So I mean, back back to your earlier question of should you switch to core? I think if you're if you if you have an app that you have to get over to Mac and Linux, then absolutely, you know, it's it's worth the effort. Now, if you want to use .NET Core because you want to use Kestrel or you want to use MVC6 and and you just want to start going that path and kind of get a head start, you can and you can just target .NET 4.5 or 4.6 and you don't have the issues with the dependencies. So you could still use right. Log4Net. You know, we can still use our SQL parser that mm. that doesn't work on core. So you can absolutely do that and you can start that uh, transition. And Kestrel is available on Windows. So you could still be using regular ASP.NET with Kestrel, right? Um, I think you have to compile it for core. I don't, I don't think you you can take for core. Yeah. So like prefix is a good example. It's a Windows service and it Mm -hmm. uses web API. It's a self hosted web API application, right? So when we converted it to core, it uses Kestrel on the, you know, on the Mac version. So we can run right. prefix on Mac, right. but you can't use, um, I can't use Kestrel. Well, I can't use the self-hosted web API in core. Um, but, you know, you, you have to use, you can use Kestrel with four or five. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. I have nothing bad to say about IIS except that it's just kind of dated by the way that it thinks about serving web pages. Well, but again, Kestrel is not a complete replacement for IIS, mm-hmm. right? Um, Kestrel, 
um, is, is very similar to Node.js and, and some other things. They're just really lightweight web servers, but things like Nginx and, and IS have more advanced features around security and logging and routing and virtual host and all these other um, features, which a lot of us may not care about, but um, a lot of times you need them. So IS and, and Nginx are still sort of recommended as a reverse proxy in front of Kestrel. So you're talking about still running it, running IIS, and then if it's paid, if it's just a regular page service, passing it through to Kestrel. Otherwise, right. you know, you, you maybe take something on. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out and the recommendations from Microsoft. But right. from what I've seen at this point, they they potentially still recommend that you use IS as a reverse proxy in front of it. Hmm. But I think it all depends yeah, I, on your use case. I just think that that's a that's a sophisticated enough configuration that you know I don't know how many people are actually going to do it. Well, it it's easy to run Kestrel. Um, yeah, with no, it's trivial to run Kestrel. I'm thinking more about getting IIS configured correctly as a reverse proxy. Hmm. Well, you just deploy your app like normal. You don't you don't have to do any kind of special wizardry to make it work as a reverse proxy. Um, right. There's some kind of module and tooling that you configure in your app and, and you just point IS at it and it, it does its own wizardry. I don't, I don't know how it works, but it pipes the traffic over to Kestrel, however that works. So can we talk about some of the uh, roadblocks that you experienced during your conversion? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I did a whole talk one day at a local developer conference about converting to core and the, the biggest challenge that you have is converting over to use the XProj project files, right? Okay. And you can actually use project.json with, you know, your current projects today, your csproj files. Um, project.json was actually created, I think, for un- universal Windows apps and is used by other things besides core. So... It actually replaces the packages.config file, which doesn't seem to actually do a whole lot in .NET mm-hmm. anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're, if you're doing that conversion, you can actually use project.json and you can switch to putting all your packages there. And then um, when you're ready to make the leap to xproj, you can create your xproject file. And you can actually use xproject and csproject together uh, for the exact same project. And so that's ultimately what we had to do oh. because when you switch to X project files, they don't work with Microsoft build. Hmm. Um, so think about uh, prefix as an example, we, we build it on our build server and it, you know, creates the install shield package and goes through this, you know, tool chain of things that happen, right? Well, we have to redo that whole tool chain um, because MS build doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, you can use the .NET command line and, and, and build that way. Um, but, you know, that, that's the extra step. So what we ended up doing is we still have our CS project files, but then we also have the XProj files. So we have just two different solutions in Visual Studio and we can load it both ways. So we can, we can go back and forth. Um, but that lets us still have our MS build to create our, uh, Windows, you know, version and, and all of that still function the right way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, sure. It's a, you know, it's one of those unexpected things that you, you, you get into it and it's like, Oh, now I have to do this. 
Yeah. yeah. And so I there's actually a blog post at stackify.com all about this XProj and CSProj business if anybody um, wants to learn more about that. But um, the other caveat about building is as of today, if you want to build your app that you're going to deploy to Mac or Linux, you actually have to compile it and build it on Macs or Linux. So you can't, right. I can't build prefix on a Windows machine and then ship the bits to somebody on a Mac. I've actually got to, you know, use Git, pull the source code down on a Mac, build it on a Mac. Um, supposedly they're going to fix that in a future version that's probably coming up pretty fast. But right now that, that is one of the limitations on the building side. You know, it seems I, in this, in this day and age of containers that that should be a easy problem to solve on a desktop machine, you know, just run a, the, the compiler in a container and boom. Well, for Linux anyway, for Mac, of course, Mac won't right. ever run in a container. Yeah. So, yeah. So as of today, we just have that magical Mac laptop around the office that we use for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it does seem kind of reasonable that you really want to test on all the platforms before you ship it anyway. So you, you kind of need one of each around or at least VMs of each. Yeah. If, if only I could have a VM of a Mac. That yeah. Would they be don't awesome. exist. Yeah. They won't let you do yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, is Apple special? Well, they, so that, they like money. So that brings up a, another um, landmine that I found along the way. So um, some of the stuff we do require some, you know, security encryption stuff, right? For authentication, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we use RSA encryption. Well, what I found was in .NET Core, um, they moved over the library so it still works. There's a library we were using called RSA Crypto Service Provider. So code moved over just fine to core everything compiles everything looks good running everything on windows everything looks perfect um then we go to run the app on the mac and it just blows up all over the place because it says uh evidently that's platform specific code so it's in.net core but doesn't work on the mac which is you know uh one of those hidden landmines right so that whole if it builds ship it mentality, definitely doesn't work in that case. Um, so there's actually a different RSA provider you can use that works in .NET Core across all three platforms, right? But um, you have to know which one to use. You, if you accidentally pick the wrong one, it won't work on Macs or Linux, I guess. So wow. it just uses a Windows-specific uh, version. Uh-oh. Jeez. Yeah, so that's kind of one of the fun landmines. I have no idea what other... What other things may cause that? But that was one of the ones we ran into. It it just throws a kind of a generic error that says platforms not supported. Now and, I, I uh, wonder how many of these uh, speed bumps actually got ironed out after you know the, the the final release. Well, I mean, another good example of this would be something like the Windows Registry, right? Like obviously that oh, only works on Windows. Oh, but, oh, 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 <laughs> make sorry, the bad man stop. Sorry, I had a little PS. PTSD there. <laughs> but that's oh. not in core. Like, it, it just doesn't exist, right? For yeah. obvious you reasons, have, yeah. Thank it, God. It's, uh, it's only in the, you know, .NET 4.5, you know, framework. But this other thing that I was talking about is in core, even though it's Windows-specific. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Terrible. Yep. Somebody's going to make a registry emulator, and then <laughs> yeah. I will check out. I will. I'm done if that happens. Make the bad man stop. 
<laughs> people have just stopped sticking stuff in the registry anyway. It's a, it's a mistake, right? Like, it's yep. just, it causes so much grief. Always was. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we have to we have to do some messing with that to enable some settings and configuration and stuff like that. But yeah, the registry was created because INI files were too difficult. Think about that. <laughs> Actually, the registry was created for for system components, and then somebody got the bright idea that we could put you know app settings in there. Everything and everything, right? Yes. Yeah. All the things. All the things. <laughs> yeah, and it, it it turned into trouble. No two ways about it. Yeah. Yeah. So so we were talking about things that don't work in core. Uh, a couple th- other things that don't work um, that have caught a lot of attention is system.drawing. Um, hmm. I think there might be some open source alternatives that people have come up with. And I, I think the team is working on porting system drawing over. And there's the... Uh, mono version of system.drawing, I think that might have been ported to core. But the official system.drawing from the Microsoft and community team, I don't think is is there yet. Well, it makes sense to me. I mean, it, because you want the server-side stuff first, and the client-side yeah. stuff is really, really difficult to get right. And how much is it going to get used? That's the question. Well, system.drawing is used a lot for resizing images. Oh, that's true. For resizing and, and creating, um, yeah, JPEGs and things on the fly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yep. You're right about that. Yep. So that's, that's one unfortunate thing. If, if somebody has an app that does that, they're kind of out of luck right now. If they're targeting core. Now, if they're targeting .NET 4.5, then, you know, they're, they're okay. Right. Um, another one is the data set and data table. Mm-hmm. Now, most of us immediately would say, who the hell uses those anymore? Yeah, a um, lot of people, actually. There's a lot of legacy systems with it, yeah. But they do. So I actually use it for um, SQL store procedures to feed in a table variable full of data. Um, that's that's the only thing I really use data tables for anymore. Um, but they're quick and dirty for things, um, but they don't exist in core. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, interesting indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing to think about is um, HTTP modules and handlers. Oh, sure. They don't exist in core. Because the whole pipeline is gone, right? Yeah, the whole... And I think that's part of the problem with IIS in general, right? Was that pipeline over the years had just gotten so bloated. And I don't think it was really designed to be asynchronous first or, you know, any of that stuff. So um, now we have this great thing called middleware. Um, which I believe is very similar to how Owen was doing mm. middleware. If anybody mm. had done a .NET app that used Owen and some of the other programming languages um, that are out there, the the way that .NET does middleware is more similar to how um, they were doing it. So um, any anything that you would have done with modules or handlers now are done in middleware. And I've I've wrote a couple middlewares already, and they're they're relatively simple. There's mm. not much to it. Um, they're all async out of the box, and you basically, you know, when your middleware starts, you can do some code, and then you basically do an, an async await, and that's, you know, the, the signal for the pipeline to go do all the other junk it's going to do, and then eventually it comes back to your middleware for the end of the request, so you can do some more stuff at the end of the request. Um, it's pretty simple, but yeah. um, the, other, the good and bad news that, uh, as well is, you know, Modules and handlers were all in our config files, and a lot of times they made our config files kind of hairy. Um, middleware is all done in code, so you have to to modify your code anytime you want to touch the middleware. Yeah. 
So that's a good and a bad thing, I guess. Um, some other things have started to do that too, like Serilog, I think is pretty much all in code. Right. How you configure it. And I guess you can always write con, uh, configurations around how you do your code. So you can write your own configs, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the other things I, I found a little frustrating about .NET Core is they just have moved some things around. So for example, one of the ones I noted here is a really common example is the file stream. So almost, I mean, that's one of the most common class sure. libraries, right? And yeah. it's it's still technically part of system.io, but it's not in that package. It's actually in a package called system.io.filesystem. Oh, so it's so, extra. Yeah. So, huh. you, I mean, it's still from a using perspective in your code, you know, you do using system.io, but it's actually in io.filesystem. So that creates some confusion of, of you know, it's not system.io.filesystem.filestream. Hmm. So, so the package names versus your namespaces are, are a little different. And there's actually one called systemiofilesystem.primitives, which is a whole nother package, which has in it like the file share and file access enums, I think, and some other things. And so we've kind of got this explosion of packages now and some things have been moved around. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely recommend there's this website that somebody set up called package search dot azure websites dot net. Neat. And you guys should uh, include that in the show notes. Definitely. Um, you can search for class names and method names there and it'll tell you where they're at in .NET Core, if they've maybe moved around, um, and it'll tell you what version of uh, .NET Standard and if it's in .NET 4.5 and stuff, where, where it's at and what's supported. So that, that was really critical for me to figure out where some of this stuff had moved around. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep, it's time to press the big blue button and automatically convert this joke to .NET Core. Ah, uh, wait a minute. No, no laughter. Oh, I'm sorry. I was only targeting the Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just checking reverse package search right now to see if there is a laughter module. Ready to be. <laughs> All right. I love that was a great laugh by Matt. Ha ha ha. <laughs> That's basically what I'm used to, Matt. You fit right in around here. Uh, it's, <laughs> It's actually time to give away a SyncFusion Essential Studio package to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. With over 650 controls, SyncFusion's Essential Studio is the most comprehensive suite of components available for .NET and JavaScript with world-class diagrams, maps, and charts. Reduce your development time, save some money, and get the best support in the industry. These are just a few of the reasons over 800,000 people make SyncFusion a part of their daily dev process. And now individual developers and small teams can get access to every single control in SyncFusion's library for free. The community license also gives you access to SyncFusion's growing library of enterprise applications like Dashboard Platform and Big Data Platform that can help make sense of complex data. Support and updates are included, too. It's a 10K value for free. Find out more and get started today at SyncFusion.com. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Mark Degani. Congratulations, Mark. Round of applause. for you. Absolutely. 
A round of clappers. A round of clappers. And uh, Mark just won the Sync Fusion Essential Studio. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we're still giving away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And uh, we also like to ask our guests, of course, Matt, if you had $5,000 to spend today on technology, what would you be buying? Well, can I use that towards a down payment on a Tesla? Does that count? <laughs> you could buy the windshield, maybe. Right. <laughs> the the S or the three. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's pretty amazing how many of those have been pre-ordered. Right. Yeah. The three okay. is supposedly like thirty, forty thousand dollars right? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, what is the f- pre-order at? I haven't looked lately. Would they get the four hundred thousand? So, jeez, yeah, it, yeah. Enough that it's actually a problem. It's like, dude, how are you going to make all of these cars? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what, what will you do? How long do I have to wait? I think people are prepared to wait the year, but it know. is a good problem for them to have, though, right? Well, it sort of validates that the electric car has come of age, that that, that yes. many got ordered. Yeah. Yeah. It really says something. Anyway, I'm with you, man. It's yep. great. It's a cool idea. It's going to be interesting to see the, the whole autopilot thing is obviously going to be on all the threes as well. So we'll see what that looks like. Yeah. So let's get back to some of the pitfalls and issues that we must contend with when we do our conversions. Yeah, so one of the other things I found is some of the standard classes that we're used to dealing with have just been changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, not a big deal, but requires just slight code refactoring. So a good example of this was the stream reader. Oh, yeah. You know, most of us use the stream reader all the time to just read a, a text file, right? You know, loop through line by line or something like that. Well, typically, you could just pass it a file path and on the constructor and, you know, read a file. Mm. Well... There's no overloads for a file path anymore. Oh, no. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, you have to pass it a file stream or a, or a stream. And so now you have to refactor your code to new up a, a file stream and pass into your stream reader. So it's just little <sighs> things like that that catch you off guard. That Somebody ought to write a but... library of extensions that does that. You know? yeah, How I, hard would that you, be? You know, I, I don't know what the thought process was when they did some of this because you gotta imagine they probably copied the code over and you know pasted a new file or yeah, whatever right. they did and some guy decided well i'm gonna go through and delete these overloads so i don't know if that's because by default the stream reader you know you, you weren't able to control the like file share and file access you know yeah. kind of stuff and they wanted to force people to use the file stream so they have to specify those i don't know mm. Yeah, it might be a privilege. You know, the privilege system is different between all the different OSs. Like, there's a lot that could go wrong there. But once you're at stream, then that's all you're you're sort of done with that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Another good example of this is around reflection. They made a lot of little API changes around reflection. Um, The big one is the when you call get type, um, that doesn't return as much information as it used to. They did that for performance reasons. Yeah. Um, so then on top of that, you have to also call a method called get type info, which returns all of the details. Um, the good news is that 
if you change your code to work for core uh, to do that, that also works for .NET 4.5. Same same thing with the example around the uh, like the stream reader and stuff. You know, so if you if you're you know earlier I mentioned trying to run your code with xproj and csproj and kind of bouncing back and forth, you know, um, sharing the same code base. A lot of these changes, you can make them, and they'll work both ways. I do have one fun example that doesn't, though. Um, has to do with the HTTP web request. So, most people probably use HTTP client, and they don't even use HTTP web request anymore. You know, they use the higher-level uh, libraries. Right. But if you're actually using HTTP web request, I, I found a fun one. Um the, the request has a headers property, right? So you set the headers of, you know, the content length. If you're doing a post, you've got to set that or, you know, setting a user agent or different things like that. Well, in .NET 4.5, there's some built-in properties that you have to use. You have to use on the request object, there's a content length property and a user agent property. You have to set those. If you set it in the headers, you get an error saying that you have to use the appropriate property or method, right? Well, right. They decided in core to get rid of those built-in properties and that you have to use the headers collection instead. So, <laughs> so that means I had to add that some compiler. That is so stupid. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you would think, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but I don't know. You think so it's you just to, like a matter of time? They just didn't have time for these little things? Why? I think it's like somebody had to delete the code, right? I mean, if you're copying and pasting the code over for core, somebody decided, oh, we're going to delete these things. Surely there's got to be a reason. We just don't know. I don't know. Hmm. So you have to add compiler directives. Now, luckily, it's easy to do compiler directives for, you know, net 4.5 and net 40 and stuff like that. And there's compiler directives for net standard. Now, that's something we haven't even talked about. We should probably talk about net standard. Yeah, we don't even know what it is. Can you tell us? <laughs> yeah, so there's there's all these versions of net standard um, from net standard 10, right? And there is a website and... Um, I'm doing a whole blog post about this and it's in my blog post and we should put it in your, um, we can put it in your show notes as well. That maps out what all the different versions of net standard are. Um, so I think net standard 1.3, if I remember right, maps to .NET 4.5.2. Okay. And .NET standard 1.6 is the latest. And if you're using .NET core, uh, most everything has to use net standard 1.6, uh, for that. But if you're writing, so the key to net standard and, the, and really the only reason you use it is if you're making a class library that's going to be a NuGet package and it's going to be shared across multiple things. So for example, um, we have a library called Stackify lib that people can use as an API to Stackify, right? And I'm able to target net standard 1.3 for that and then Supposedly, um, people that are using .NET 4.5, it understands, NuGet understands, you know, what can reference that and the compatibility of those, right? Um, but also if you're using Xamarin or universal Windows apps or, or other types of apps, um, this net standard is supposed to be kind of a common uh, surface area for everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So it, it's really confusing. So you don't have to just say sure. It is confusing. No, for no. Sure. I, I mean, I understand that it's confusing. You know, and yeah, it, it, yeah. I don't yeah, understand, understand all the of it. goal. 
I mean, they are. This is we we talked to um, Scott Hunter about this. The the problem is there's so many things happening in the .NET framework at once. You want you you don't want to have to validate every class library you use in your application for version. So right. you know the idea that if you specify .NET Standard 1.3, you know what version of I/O you've got, what version of reflection you've got, what version of the runtime you've got, and and so on. Right. Right, it's just yeah. a way to simplify validating the state of your app. And for most people that are just writing a web app or whatever they're doing, net standard, it may be something they never even have to deal with. It, it really yeah. comes down to people who are making shared libraries. Yeah. That's when it gets more important. And so for somebody like, say, newtonsoft.json, right? They're, they're trying to create a shared library, and they might add all kinds of compiler directives to their code and then build different versions for net standard 1.0, you know, 1.3 and 1.6 so right. that, you know, people who are targeting net standard 1.0 for whatever reason or .NET, you know, 4.5 or whatever that would be, that, you know, they can have all those different versions and, and support for all that. So, it it's kind of a pain and it really gets... It gets complicated for people that are making the shared libraries. The The thing that's probably the most confusing for people if they're making an app is what is the difference between net standard, um, just doing net 4.5, or using net core app. So there's this new thing called net core app, and that's what you're supposed to use and target if you're actually making an, actu- an application. So an actual ASP.NET core MVC6 application or a console app, uh, you're supposed to target framework netcore app 1.0. Um, oh, geez. I'm still a little confused myself as exactly what the difference is between that and net standard 1.6. Um, but evidently, Netcore app is is what you're supposed to target for your actual application itself. Yeah. Okay. Still, still confused. But uh, where, how, can we expect any kind of clarity on this going forward? Is it is it going to get simpler? I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think so because you've got all these different uh, versions and old versions, and we've got Xamarin and you know, web apps and non-web apps and desktop apps and all those things, right? And then you compound that with having Windows and Linux and Mac OS and it's just a complicated matrix of things. Yeah, I would argue it's going to get more complicated until we... Yeah. Because we're doing a harder problem. I mean, build, building a, something for three platforms, like, it's this never going to be easy. This is not a simple thing. Hmm. Uh, I bet we'll, our better tooling will get better. We'll absorb more of these problems ourselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe our version checking on these things will get better. Uh, but, I mean, just do a search on how many samples and how many people are just trying to do the basic walkthrough of build something and then get it out to all three platforms. We're, we're still at the beginning of this, just struggling to get the fundamentals working. Yeah, and I, I found some things when I was doing this that, like I would target net standard 1.3, right? And it's like, um, whatever the thing is, you would expect it to exist. I think I was messing with system.text.encoding. And for whatever reason, system.text.encoding.ascii or something like that wasn't available in net standard 1.3 or whatever it was doing. And I'm like, come on now, this was available in like .NET 1.1 probably. What, what is the deal? And so every once in a while, I ran across some weird things like that too. Yeah. Just things that just didn't make any sense, but Right. And well, I guess it's getting a little easier, right? Is is Windows Phone dead? Dead? 
Dead is a relative term. Uh, it's not quite dead. I'm not dead yet. It's, it's not, pining it's a, for the fjords. <laughs> so if we don't have to target that, that, that makes it a little simpler, right? Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's yeah. it's phone too, right? Like it's it's a different thing anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it has shared libraries. Right. Yeah. It's all part of it. So one one of the other things we should talk about, um, one of the biggest landmines as well, is Newtonsoft has changed their default casing. Hmm. So now everything gets defaulted to camel case. Really? Yeah, so all of my JavaScript that was calling, uh, you know, from the browser, just calling back and doing some uh, REST API calls, all of a sudden everything gets returned in camel case, and it broke all of my REST APIs. Yeah, that's oh, a little nice. crazy, seeing as how it is a case-sensitive language. Yeah, so I, I guess they did that because all the other programming languages uh, pretty much default to camel case, and there are some settings you can go in and change. Uh, different kind of converters or whatever in Newtonsoft on what you want your casing to be. But yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Anytime you convert an app, you're going to run into problems with that right away. Yeah. They, the, uh, they, we, we talked about this with Sean as well, right? And there obviously there is tools for flipping your casing around one way or the other. You'll know if you get it wrong because all hell will break loose. Well, it, it, yeah, but it's, it takes a while to figure out why all hell break, yeah, breaks loose, too, right? Yeah, there's such worthless errors, yeah. right? Yeah, you, like get, you get weird JavaScript errors that don't make any sense, and you're like, PC load letter, what the? What? And, and if you don't look closely, you're not looking at the case. You're looking at the no. at, at the, the class and going, well, that's there. What the hell's the problem? But yeah, this, everything this looks gets right. back to that yeah. whole .NET standard thing, right? Yeah. If you get the yeah. version number wrong on a particular class library, it's not like it's going to go, hey, you got the version number wrong. You're just yeah. going to get weird errors. <laughs> yes. So speaking of weird errors, um, we mentioned this earlier that .NET Core is version 1, but all the rest of the tooling isn't. And I can attest that Visual Studio in general can be a little strange at times. Um, I get uh, To this day, I have a, a file I can open up and code compiles, works perfectly. But most of the code on my screen like turns red and it acts like it has no idea where the code is and it has all kinds of issues. <laughs> oh, I hate the red screen of death. <laughs> it's, it's like the red screen of code of death. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Visual Studio hates you. That's, That's right. what it's really saying. Right? And sometimes you want to just say, hey, I'm still typing. Yeah. Relax. Just wait till I'm done before you tell me I can't write code. <laughs> so the one of the... One of the great things about Visual Studio is, you know, you can open your, your code file and there's a little drop down and you pick between, you know, if you're doing .NET 4.5 and, and then you're also targeting a different framework. So you're targeting, you know, NetCore app, you can flip back and forth and it'll show you, um, com, you know, compile issues both ways and IntelliSense works slightly different both ways, um, which is awesome until it doesn't work. Um, and then it's actually awesome. strange. Like I've, I've seen issues where IntelliSense just stops working or yeah. it doesn't, it just all kinds of weird things that happen. And it's just a little buggy right now. Well, I can understand how all your code ends up red because you're literally talking about a different version of the framework and the continuous compiler in studio has got to know what it's looking at and, and match correct versions. Like it can get very, very lost. Mm hmm. I think all red means I have officially thrown my hands up and gone, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Eventually it just loses its mind. 
<laughs> so what, one of the other things I've heard, and, and uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this yet. So in .NET Core, we have this new project file format, the xproj file, right? Well, evidently, in the next version of Visual Studio, they're going to replace that, and we're going back to csproj again. Hmm. Have you guys heard that? No, that's news to me. Yeah, so we have to convert everything to xproj, and then we're going to turn around and go right back, evidently. Um, I don't know if they're updating how MS Build works, and that way we're able to continue to use all that tooling that way, or I don't know what they're doing, but yeah, uh, fun do, times. Do they have blog posts explaining why all these, you know, um, on-again, off-again uh, things yes. and all these weird stuff happens? Yes, they do. Um, Doesn't mean you understand. <laughs> one of the biggest problems with CS Proj is it has all of your individual files in it, right? So if you open it up in Notepad, it's like mm. literally every file you have. Yep. And if you've got a whole bunch of JavaScript and CSS and images, all that kind of junk, it you know adds all that in there. Yeah. Well, an X X project doesn't have any of that. Um, and that's one of the other big differences is uh, for people to get used to is it automatically includes every file that's just in your folder you know, in, in windows, it's just every file that's in the folder is part of your project. Um, which is a good, good and bad both ways for different reasons. Right. But it makes your project files real clean. Cause it's just, it's just everything. Right. It's all there. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the funnest thing that we've been working on is, you know, I mentioned earlier, we're converting prefix over to run on the Mac and sure. we're actually got that working and, you know, we have a, a Java profiler, so we can actually profile Java on a Mac, and then we take the output of that and then read the output with .NET. <laughs> so we're we're sort of profiling. So you really need that stream object, <laughs> that <Yeah>. stream reader. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're profiling Java on a on a Mac with .NET. How about that? That's really really cool. And you know, that's just typical of the world we live in now. It's completely yeah. integrated. That's it's it's such a cool day that that we can do that as yeah. a .NET developer and um, it's very cool. So true. You guys have any other questions about Core? Any other things we should talk about here? Well, you know, not being up to our neck in it like you are, we we sort of at a loss to to know exactly what to ask. But um, you know, just that we want to make sure that the listeners have a good idea of what they're getting themselves into and. Trying, I'm, I'm sure that they're trying to assess whether or not they should wait or, you know, they should just bite the bullet and, and do a conversion now. Yeah, so a couple other things to mention for sure. Um, Entity Framework works. It's slightly different. There's some feature differences. Um, they, they'll want to look into that. Um, one of my other favorite ORMs, Dapper, mm. um, works. So there's Dapper for .NET Core. Mm. Um but there are a lot of other ORM products that probably haven't been converted yet. And um, my question for anybody who's thinking about moving to core is how hardcore do you want to go? Do you want to go <laughs> core? You know, how, how hardcore are you? Right. Do you, do you want to run your app on a, that on a hardcore core is really hard. Yeah. Or do you just want to use MVC six and ASP.NET core, but actually target .NET four or five. Mm. That's a lot easier. Um, and that's a good transition I, 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 plan. I, 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 I. <laughs> it just makes my head spin. Yes. You know, it used to be so easy. <laughs> Listen to me, I sound old. Oh, wait yep. a minute, I am old. There you <laughs> go. 
Yeah, we, you know, it's been a while since we mentioned that web forms say goodbye, but uh, that yeah. is true. There's a lot of people that are angry about that. They they want it back for core. So if you have a web forms application, you know, you first have to make a jump to um, out of, uh, you know, that and into web API and MVC. Uh, you know, you don't have to do it that way. In fact, I've... I've done it myself where within a web forms application, you can create an ASPX page that acts as a service. You know, you turn off all the, um, you know, um, view state and all that other stuff so that it just returns pure, uh, JSON and you do, you know, a couple of lines of code to, to handle that mime type and all of that. And you can do essentially, you know, service based web API style apps but you know now you're stuck with that so it's probably better to get just into an mvc app right away yeah absolutely yeah. well and and that's another thing to point out is web api doesn't exist in core either it's it's, right. it's merged to be part of mvc it's just mvc now sure so but the idea is that you write services yeah just as easily as you can write web pages yeah, so we'll yeah. have to see if they bring uh, web forms back because um, there's a lot. Yeah, of Yeah, I've heard a rumor that, that somebody's been talking about. I mean, it's, it's an open source project. If you want to re-implement web forms against the core, there's no reason you couldn't do it, especially mm. as a separate module. You know, why right. not? Yep. Interesting. Would it be compatible with all of those uh, controls, though? Uh, um, probably not. Probably no. not. Yep. Because the controls would have to be compiled for core as well, wouldn't they? Yes. And depends on how they were built, too. I mean, if they were implemented in C-sharp and the C-sharp was close enough to the to Roslyn, you might be able to cross-compile them all. But that's uh, that's a lot of maybes. Well, the, the biggest problem is they probably all use system.web, and there is no system.web anymore. Right. Yeah, sure. So yeah. were all those controls, were they like, System.web.text.textbox? Oh, they're all, yeah. System, well, I can't remember. I, it's been so yeah. long since I've been in, in that space. But, yeah, you know, think too. of all the third-party tools that were web forms. And a lot of a lot of our listeners still have web forms apps that they either continue to work on or maintain. Yeah, and, absolutely. And uh, there's a lot of them out there. They're very, very popular. And there's really no money for making that conversion. Like, it just makes no sense. Right. It doesn't. There's, it's a dead end. Yeah. Yep. So, you don't, you don't think they should convert? Well, you don't think the tool vendors should convert, is what you're saying? Well, I just don't know if it's possible to make the conversion all the way down the stack, right? Yeah. That's the, that's the issue. At some point, some code's got to get rewritten. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, in, and in once you get down that path... You know, you just start thinking about what's the best way to do this stuff. You know, these web forms is so old. The way we thought about the web was very different then. And you start wanting this stuff to work in mobile and wanting stuff to be API. Like, there's so much power there. It's worth rethinking it. And, and it, you don't, it's not a drop dead conversion. And it's not know? a necessary conversion. I mean, if you're, if you have a web forms app, there's no reason why that can't live side by side with .NET Core apps. And there's, there's no reason to, move it forward if yeah. it works, right? Yeah. I, I think there's a camp out there that says, if you're an absolute beginner programmer, web mm. forms are still easier. That's true. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think there's a, there's a group of people out there that are still, you know, on that, on the, in that camp. So 
However, if I was teaching somebody today, I certainly wouldn't start with web forms. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough path to be on. Yep. Well, Matt, uh, wow. The hour's flown by. Tell us what's going on at Stackify briefly. Well, I, you know, I mentioned we're doing prefix for Java and, uh, pretty excited about that. So we have, uh, thousands of people now that use prefix, um, which is our, our .NET profiler. And it's free. Um, and it's free. Yeah, we're getting ready to release a, a premium version of it, but we'll still have the free version. Um, there's just a lot of advanced features. Um, probably the coolest advanced feature we have is being able to remotely profile what a web service call does. So on mm. your local machine, you know your your code does a whole bunch of things, and it calls some web service that connects and hits some API, or whatever. Mm. We're able actually to to track that all the way across to the other server and pull all that back so you can see like what SQL queries and what did that thing do over there oh, so that's, that's pretty great. cool so we, we've been doing a lot of cool stuff like that and um, well we've been using yeah. prefix a lot and we love it so awesome good, good. tool yeah yeah we, it, it's still amazing to me we have users now in 116 countries wow that's awesome you know pretty, people pretty must cool. like it it's <laughs> pretty cool Matt, thanks very much for spending the hour with us. It's been great talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a-